0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast Heal or Heal Yourself, Reduce Burnout, Discover Your Creativity While You Heal Others. I'm your host, Dr. Isla Bates. I'm an integrative and holistic psychiatrist based in New York. I bring to you a podcast where I interview artists, physicians, and others who have used art in some way to heal themselves. Hi, I'm Dr. Isla Bates, and I'm a psychiatrist and an artist, and I am here with Sheila Darcy, who is an artist who actually has just written a book that's about to be published, and I will have her tell us about herself and her book that's coming out, which I already pre-ordered, and I'm very excited
1: about. (laughs) It's so far in advance, too, because my book's not coming out till this December. And I didn't know if it was too soon, but based on the feedback I'm getting, I think people are just excited. And it's good for me to know that there's that anticipation. Uh, mm-hmm. The book is called Sketch by Sketch.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's about be- sketch by sketch. Each each page of that sketchbook really helped me work through a lot of my healing, uh, specifically around trauma and anxiety, which we can talk more about. But my journey on how I got to sketching was really fascinating because I had not. There was no part of this that I would have anticipated because I was in the corporate space for so long. I was in the business world for 20 years. I can speak that language like the back of my hand mm-hmm. and I neglected my artist self. And I think you and I have this in common, but I neglected my artist self for over 20 years. Me and too. that's why I'm so prolific right now.
0: Me too. A hundred percent.
1: That's a common story and experience yeah. in it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when I went to medical school, I just, you know, I really stopped doing a lot of the art and the creative side of me, I just pushed aside.
1: Why did you do you know why you, you made that decision? I can tell you why I did. But I'm curious about why. Well, you I
0: think it. I was just so focused and overwhelmed with the work, the amount of work that we had to do. And, you know, occasionally, I would do a drawing with anatomy, you know, just to help me remember things or, doodle here and there. I did some portraits and I was in the art show, but it was all secondary and it was, I just did not feel like it was important or valued anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think what was more valuable in terms of what my peers thought was valuable or colleagues thought was valuable was the art, but was the um, medicine yeah, and if I said I was a former fashion designer, I felt almost as if I lost credibility. Oh,
1: that's um, so fascinating.
0: Yeah. Now you know that could have been a story I told myself, but it certainly felt that way. Um, it did not. And, and we're talking like twenty something years ago, right? When yes. I yes, just about
1: the same time I abandoned my art.
0: Yeah, it was yeah. like the late '80s actually. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah I was in the early 90s I don't think we're that far age difference yeah. but yeah it's interesting that you said that because I think our narrative is similar maybe coming from different places like for me it was yes I was busy for me though it was the whole immigrant trying to please my mother having a blueprint of my life and really fulfilling that responsibility and art was never really part of that puzzle. Right. So I neglected it for that reason. But then the other reason I think I neglected it also is I realized, and this is why I think Sketch Poetic has been so profound, is it was always very outcome-based. You know, I needed to think about vocation or getting in a gallery or making a masterpiece that people would love. And now it's completely flipped. It's a 180. I, yes, I think if you look at my journey now, four and a half years later, you would say, yes, your your pieces are and i put this in air quotes beautiful or you know whatever your aesthetic view of it is but that is not the why behind it i right. really really focus on the process and letting go and and all the things that i wasn't able to do before and stillness is probably the biggest theme in the purpose and mission of my work is being able to sit in that stillness because I never ever have in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. I have never sat in that stillness. I was uncomfortable with silence. I I mean, I, I was never diagnosed with ADD, but I'm sure mm. I wondered if I did have it, you know? So-
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have it, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. I was never clinically diagnosed, yeah. but I did have a hard time focusing and I was doing yeah. a million things at once.
0: Well, I think a lot of creative people yeah. do you have ADHD? And ADHD is not such a bad thing to have. No,
1: absolutely um, not. Yeah. But I think it would have, it would have helped me understand. Yeah. Um, not that I'm a huge fan of labels by any means, but right. I certainly believe in understanding what's happening.
0: Right. Yeah, no, this is, um, so what do you think helped you to make the shift? I kind of know what helped me to make that shift. But what what exactly um, happened?
1: I you're gonna love it. I'm gonna tell you just the short part of my story because it's the one reason I was super excited to meet with you Um, and have this conversation with somebody of your background because it was actually therapy that started it all. I had a huge stigma around therapy. I had a mental health stigma, you know, other people have that problem. You know, I'm I'm I don't need therapy. I can get through it. You know, it's just the way I was raised. and it got to a point where I was really afraid of flying so turbulence was my you know kryptonite (laughs) anytime the plane got bumpy I would just completely lose it and it got to a point over a period of a decade where I would need to get wasted drunk to get on the plane and and I'd end up sometimes throwing up depending on how long the flight is because I was just drinking these little alcohol bottles and I felt a tremendous amount of shame
0: tremendous amount of
1: self-judgment but it, it was at a point where I realized that it was coinciding with my career. I hit the, what I call the pinnacle of where I thought I wanted to be.
0: Mm-hmm. I was the managing
1: director of an innovation agency. So I hit like my, my ultimate place I thought I was gonna be in corporate and something inside of me was unsatisfied, was yeah. lacking, was missing, was like a huge hole in my heart.
0: Yes. And I
1: couldn't figure it out, but it all coincided. Like I literally hit every wall you could hit, personally, professionally, emotionally. And I finally just said, you know what? I'm gonna go see a therapist. This is the funny part, to deal with my fear of flying. Uh Even though subconsciously and unconsciously, I knew it had nothing to do with that. Uh And it was that conversation, her name was uh, Dr. Linda Malerstein and she was a hypnotherapist, but she was all about getting to the root cause of the anxiety. And this is what she said that changed my life and that answers your question. She described anxiety in a way that I understood in a physical way. She said, anxiety is energy in your body, you're not releasing. Yeah. And that energy is caused by emotions you're not expressing. It was so basic.
0: Yeah. yeah. She then she
1: said, what emotions aren't you expressing? And I went, I don't know. She goes, you probably do. And then this is the question she asked. It changed my life. She said, do you have a healthy way to express those emotions? Mm. As soon as she said that, I immediately remembered as a kid, I would sketch and paint to get to escape the, my traumatic childhood. I had a very tra- bumpy, turbulent childhood.
0: Mm-hmm. And I use that
1: word purposefully, a turbulent childhood. So every time I felt turbulence on the plane, what I didn't know is unconsciously, subconsciously, I was connecting back to the feelings, the emotions, the experiences of my childhood. And I knew that I hit a point where I needed to finally address it. I had basically been avoiding it for over 40 years.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's the reason I started sketching. So I, I remember walking, and this is the only part of this I will add is I remember walking out of that therapy session and I know this sounds really funny, but you'll get it, is I felt like the sky was bluer. The sun was brighter. Yeah. It was like the piece of the puzzle finally came together and I went, oh, that's what I need to do. So that, that within like three months, I didn't do it right away because I needed to change my job and change my landscape and my context and my world. I quit my last job, found an, oh. a job that wasn't as intense. And then I decided to go to this coffee shop every day and start sketching. And it, I would never have known it was gonna change my life the way it did.
0: Oh, I love that. I yeah. love that. That's Fascinating, funny.
1: right? It's yeah. it was such an unexpected gift to, to finally listen to my what my heart yeah. and my body, my spirit was trying to tell me.
0: Mm-hmm. That that's that's what I'm talking about is that connection to the heart, the spirit, soul. Oh, I mean, oh I'm getting, I'm getting chills. chills
1: talking about yeah. it.
0: <laughs> I am too. It's like, whoa. Whoa. Yeah. When you listen to your oh. heart, yeah,
1: rest just falls into place. How it's fallen into place is beyond me. I mean, it's divine at this point. It's magical. Everything has been much bigger and much more unexpected than I would have ever. And that's why I don't plan anymore. I just surrender to it all because my plans are much smaller than what's really happening.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And your art is um, also just uh, spontaneous and coming from the heart. I mean, it's not planned. It is a process. That you are just expelling from yourself. Yeah, it's, it's, I
1: describe it in both two ways a stream of consciousness, which is yes. unplanned, but I actually describe it in an embodied way as well. When I started sketching, I made a purposeful decision, and unbeknownst to me, it is truly at the crux of why Sketch Poetic and the book came about. I purposefully thought of it as purging what was inside out. Mm. And the reason I use the word purging is this is an important part of my story. In the past, I used unhealthy expressions of um, of emotional purging through bulimia and anorexia. I struggled with it throughout high school and Mm -hmm. college, but that was my way of releasing all that emotion. I didn't know how to. So when I was sketching, I was truly thinking of it as a purge of all that's inside out through the marks that I was making on paper and then just leaving it there. Like, yeah. And so I call it an emotional approach
0: every day. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. That is, that's so awesome. You know, um, I remember when I made the connection uh, to art being a healing process for me, there was definitely a feeling like something was missing in my life, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I never really say that I was depressed because I don't know if that's what I was, you know, and maybe other people would have labeled me depressed, right? Yeah, But definitely. Like that. Yeah, there was something missing. And I didn't know what it was. And what but I had this yearning to paint and to draw and to go back to my past which is you know the the drawing and painting that I used to do and um, I finally found a community where I could do that on a regular basis when I was in Boston and there was one part where I was sick I had uh, you know valley fever which is you know I don't know if you've heard of valley fever. No I haven't. Well it's a fungal infection that's Throughout the the Southwest in Arizona, all you have to do is breathe, inhale a spore, mm-hmm. and if you're Filipino or black, you you get the worst a worst case of it. You know, I did not um, know
1: that. I'm Filipino.
0: <laughs> yeah, it can actually kill you. So it's now it's in the Southwest and um, going through California as well. So um, not too many people are familiar with it especially when you go out north or you know where I was in Boston. Mm-hmm. So um they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. So mm-hmm. I had like um a week where no one could figure out what was going on. I was very sick. I and it got to the point where I couldn't breathe anymore. Wow. Anyway,
1: it must have been scary.
0: It was very scary. I I self-diagnosed. I actually called the University of Arizona and described my symptoms. And we figured out it was valley fever. Huh. I took photographs of myself during that period of time where I looked completely different. <laughs> I won't go into detail, but I went into the to the studio and I painted these portraits of myself, which were from the photographs I had taken. And when I walked out of the studio, I just felt like everything had left my body. You know, I just oh. felt. Renewed in a way that I hadn't felt before, and all of the um, anger I had for the medical community that couldn't yeah. like couldn't support me during this period of time, um, I just felt a release mm-hmm. that yes. I can't really describe. And I knew from that point on that it was healing for me to go into that studio and paint and whatever. I, you know, I didn't go in with a plan. Mm
1: -hmm. Whatever
0: I painted that night was cathartic for me in a lot of ways. Yeah.
1: So much of what you just said uh, echoes so deeply. It's one of the things I say to people when I do workshops. Mm -hmm. If you think of sketching as your wrist down, that's drawing to me. Like you're thinking of it as just, yeah, it's just your wrist down. But when I do it, and I call it an embodied practice, is is I think about my breath. I think about my body, all the aches and pains and where I potentially maybe storing trauma based on that study. Uh, my brain, where where are my thoughts going, you know, and all of those things. And so for you to be aware of your body is part of the practice. Yes. And so that's what my book is about. It's so interesting because I think some people thought, is it a coloring book? Is it a prompt book? Is it a narrative book? And I said, it's kind of all of the above. I call it the love child between the artist's way and you know the gifts of imperfection by Brene Brown because those are the two things that were very much playing in my mind I was trying to really confront my perfectionist tendencies which by the way and you I'm sure you understand this is that my perfectionism wasn't about control it was trying to find safety yeah I had no safety no control in my entire life and so every, every aspect of who I was people pleasing perfectionism all the imposter syndrome things you see in the business world that wasn't me, I thought it was all about control and showing up and trying to project this thing. When I, when I started doing my healing work, I realized all of it was mapping back down to this idea of that I really need to find safety. And when I started going deeper within and really allowing myself to look at my sketches and really process all of that stuff, I realized I cannot ever find the safety I'm looking for outside of myself. I can't predict if an earthquake's gonna hit or something's gonna help you, we have a health issue. What I can do though, is find that stillness, which is the safety that I'm really talking about. When I think Mm -hmm. about safety, I think about stillness and peace. That no matter what is happening, can I be in a state of regulation and not fight, fight or flee, fight, flight or freeze, you know? Um, And can I be in a frame of mind where I can actually think enough to where I may be able to process it rather than just be in constant, you know, Mm -hmm. of frenetic energy. And so that's why it was so healing for me is that Mm -hmm. I was really able to rise above my thoughts, my emotions, my experiences, even what my body was doing. And I was just the witness to it all. Yeah. That my God, if I can help, that's truly my, my one goal of my book is if people can find that place, I don't even need to do anything. I just know they're going (laughs) to, you know what I mean? The book is really just a doorway into that feeling. If you can feel that in the 21 prompts,
0: Ooh, Oh, that's awesome. That's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I I t- I always say that drawing is a full body experience. And whatever is in your body is going to be represented on that page. Yeah. If you're stiff and uptight, your drawing's yeah. gonna be stiff and uptight. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. And so it's so important to to breathe and to loosen up. And so when I do workshops, drawing workshops too. Um, you know, I have, I have people scribbling because when was the last time you scribbled, you know, and just be free to to move your entire body is so important. Um, or to feel your body, to feel your body, to connect with your body. I was very disconnected with, with my body. I was very disconnected. You know, the medical, um, you know, the way we're taught we ignore our bodily functions just so that we can get through in a day or, or whatever it is. Yeah. So getting in touch with our bodies. I'm stopping my video
1: in case the recording, it seems like a little choppy, but yeah. Are you still there? Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah. It's so interesting to the other part of art as a tool for healing is the actual this is the consciousness part that I'd love to talk to you more about is mm-hmm. I often can you still hear me
0: yeah my video froze so I turned off it, the video yeah I well. think
1: that's I think for the moment we may have to but yeah. the other part of it that's really profound whether whatever your canvas is if it's an actual canvas or for me it's a, a page in a sketchbook Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the things that I, I share with workshop participants or anyone I talk to about sketch poetic is I think of it as a metaphor. There is Mm -hmm. nothing happening on paper that isn't happening in my life. And one of the things you said earlier is I remember sketching in the margins of my books, Uh, Uh you know, and I think, well, that's what I was doing. My art was always in the margins of my life to your, similar to you. I had moments where I'd paint and then it would go in the garage or I'd have like 10 sketchbooks that were unfinished. And yes. it wasn't until I committed to having every page done and I was able to just commit to letting go of this construct that everything had to be perfect and that I also time boxed it, which I think is really important. I did it initially for 30 minutes. Then I increased it to about 45, but in the book, I, I actually asked people to just commit to 10 minutes mm-hmm. uh, because part of the healing for some people, and it depends on where you are. And I think of, I think of healing in the healing journey in the terms of sketch poetic in two tracks, there's the healing that can come from the emotional intelligence, right? So if you may be much lower in the emotional intelligence side, or you may be higher, mm-hmm. uh, and then creative skill, you might be lower on the creative skill side or higher on the creative skill. So depending on where you are in those spectrums, um, this practice can offer you an opportunity to embrace wherever you are in that spectrum. So if you have a lower creative skill, you can let go to it. You may refine that by letting go and being able to refine your technique and, and being able to let go to it, and, and similar to emotion and t- emotional intelligence, you become more and more comfortable feeling and expressing your emotions. Um, but yeah, I find that it's very rare have, have I met people that are high on both. <laughs> Usually, they think they are, but they're not. Like I always thought I was high on the emotional intelligence side, and then I realized I was missing a whole aspect of feeling my emotions.
0: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: <laughs> That's kind of important.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um... You know, do you consider yourself a highly sensitive person? Like an empath?
1: Yes, definitely an empath. I think I've always been an empath intuitive,
0: for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that
1: you brought that up. Because (laughs) I'm going to ask you something. This is so fascinating. Um, Yeah. One of the things that one of the big ahas for me is I've always put intellect
0: on a pillar higher than intuition. Yeah, me too. Right? And And I'm an immigrant. I'm an immigrant too. Oh, you know, like I totally, you yeah, I totally get it.
1: For the first time in my life, intuition is in the same level. Oh, yeah. As intellect. But, but I would never have said that before until I'm until I found art as a way to yeah. do it.
0: me too. Yeah, me too. Um, it's changed me in terms of my boldness, you know, my using my voice, I was always quiet. And uh, never used my voice or felt comfortable using my voice or speaking up and I know part of that's cultural. But, you know, but um, it's given me a voice. And now I'm not afraid anymore to say that I'm intuitive. In in ways that are, you know, surprise me at times. Yeah. You know, even when it comes to working with patients or talking to people. Um,
1: well, I think that's important, that part, what you just said. And I, I would I would venture to say you you would agree with me here, but part of for me, the voice is intertwined with having an ability to tell your story.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: The more I was able to tell my story in a way that is, I used to. It's funny. I look back and I would tell people my story, like, "Oh, my dad was an alcoholic, or I was an immigrant." It was very surface. There was no emotion behind it. It's it was more like facts. Here's my fact, and I did it to connect with you, like, "Oh, you are an immigrant. I'm an immigrant. (laughs) You an alcoholic father. I had an alcoholic father." But that was that was pretty much to the to the point of you know, the connection. You wouldn't dig deep. No, would never yeah. go deep. No, because yeah. I no, absolutely not. Now it's the opposite. I now understand emotionally, intuitively mm. what was happening in those moments of being an immigrant and having a, an alcoholic, abusive, alcoholic father and all kinds of abuse. Now, when I say it, I'm not con- telling that story to connect to the story. I'm connecting to the emotion that person's feeling. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and sometimes it's just being able to claim your story, but then not necessarily be defined by it too, because that's, this is the, to me, the duality of this, right?
0: hundred percent. You know what I mean?
1: You know, you would would tell your story, but you didn't want to be defined, you know, you, you were kind of labeled or defined by it, but now I tell my story, but I don't feel defined by any of it.
0: Yeah. 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 I think art allows you to release that, you know, release that energy and release that story in a way. Whether you're writing poetry or an essay, uh, you're releasing that um, yeah. for for someone else to to maybe connect with. Um, but it's not it it's not in your body anymore in the same way.
1: Exactly, that's beautiful, yeah. isn't it? It's not in your yeah. body. That's truly the reason I did it. Yeah, it was in my body. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's yeah. Incredible. <laughs>
1: We could talk for hours on this. I just get so excited because I know you get it all.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like this is fantastic because I just think that, you know, there are a lot of people out there that haven't made this connection, (laughs) that don't quite get it. And boy, you know, just like you, I want to share this with the world because I feel like this is very special, this connection.
1: Um, it is, and yeah. I'm honestly, I cannot wait for you to read my book because I want to know, did I crack that nut? Because that was the, that was the thing I was trying to, cor- to, to connect with, because yeah. if you, and I, and I, and this is, I'm really genuinely curious what's going to happen when my book comes out. I, it, and I say this not, not in terms of being humble by any means. Yeah. I genuinely didn't write this book to be about the sales. It was yeah. truly my opportunity to read it reach as many people as possible but also codify what i was saying in the workshops yeah. because i felt like i was saying the same thing over and over again and i was like how do i uh contain it in a way that allows people to take it and and receive it in their own time that's the other thing yeah. i like about having a book is they can buy the book and maybe they're not ready for it for another yeah. month or yeah. uh but but to your point the way the book is written is it's written in a narrative format so some of it is my narrative and it's all about our relationship with creativity that's the important part it's my relationship with why i've been in art why i was a perfectionist when it came to art um, how my corporate career removed me from my artistic that those are more the narratives i included and then i included narratives from workshop participants like people that were that had all these perceived narratives that I'm not a creative or they were creative and then they didn't want to deal with their Pandora's box of trauma. So the narratives are there to ground people on the emotional aspect of what they're doing.
0: Yeah.
1: Because I know by reading those narratives, they will feel something, whether or not it's your experience or not. Then Mm -hmm. I do the prompt because if I started with the prompt and then had you feel it, it's like two two big hurdles at once. It's like, oh my God, I got a sketch and I got a feel. So my hope is that the narratives help you feel whatever you want to feel. Yeah. Just to get you in your body. So I love that yeah, you said that, that, that because that was the reason the book was scaffolded that way.
0: Well, I love it. I love it. You've probably written the book that I've always wanted to write.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think you have your own book to write. Here's I my, I, I genuinely believe I am one of many that will be yeah. writing these books because- I, I, I say this in a in a compliment, complimentary way. I'm not a person that feels threatened by other people doing the same yeah. time because I think it's a it's a movement that has to happen. Yeah, so me too. May not hit with everyone. Somebody should do it around and in fact somebody did one of my friends did it on collage. Same idea, same book, cool. same premise, yeah, yeah. on collage. Yeah. Um and I think there's a whole fashion design movement that's finding their way to it as well.
0: That's true. And um I do printmaking. Oh, so yeah. So, yeah. Perfect. So, painting. And the, the thing that's really fascinating about print na- printmaking, and, and you ought to try this because. Yeah. When you print something, it's never, first of all, it's the mirror image of whatever it is you painted on the plexiglass or the mm-hmm. copper plate. So, when you flip it over and put it on paper and run it through the press, and then you remove the copper plate. What's on the paper is the mirror image. It's always a surprise. So you never know what it's going to look like. And then accidents do happen, like you put too much pressure. Right. And so you get a smudge. So for me, it's just um, it's just that element of surprise that makes it so wonderful. Yeah. Well, uh, all
1: three of those things are a great metaphor for life too
0: yes thank you yeah yeah yeah, totally
1: so my so my my belief is that you will write a book that is in the same vein and current but will speak to somebody else in a different way i genuinely just like the artist way i mean there was only there's only ever been one artist way and there's been other books that do similar things but julia cameron she wrote that book when she wrote it she's and but it's it stood the test of time Somebody asked me what's the one hope you have for your book, other than connecting with people, I said is that it stands the test of time. If you can do that, if somebody can read this book 50 years from now and that stands the test of time, to me, that
0: is epic. But yeah, for sure. Only time
1: will tell on that one.
0: (laughs) I know. Well, I'm I'm developing a coaching program for um healthcare professionals or you know, the people who I was really focused on, but it could be for any could be for anybody who's burning out really, Um, but, but to, to bring the arts into the healing element, because I don't think there's enough of that, (laughs) you know, and we need, there's a lot of vicarious trauma and, and other things that we experience uh, in the healthcare industry. And so it's, it's just an important outlet, you know, So, so I hope to bring that element to it. It's so
1: interesting. The healthcare, when the pandemic hit, I had made many attempts to try to do a workshop, even remotely with Mm -hmm. frontline workers. And it's exactly what you said in the beginning of this podcast. They don't have time. (laughs) It's almost like the the time that they did have, they couldn't even afford, like in every way affording you can to take care of self.
0: I know. I think
1: it was just surviving at that point, you know, survival.
0: Yeah. But I think that that element is true even before the pan, was through, mm. true before the pandemic and it remains true that people in the healthcare industry don't feel they have time to even breathe you know just taking a breath three breaths can seem like an overwhelming uh process because um, it's just going from one thing to the other to the next, yeah. and, the next. and i lived my life for so long that way yeah, um, until I had a wake up call, right?
1: <laughs> same, same. It's so interesting that we have that in common, although not surprising. I worked in the digital agency consulting space and while by no means is a life of the death scenario, the intensity in which agency consulting people work is very much <laughs> similar to what you just described. You are always on because you have clients and there was never an off switch. And I would say that's probably across a lot of vocations where you just don't know how to turn off. And yeah. I remember one of the chapters in my book is, uh, my vocation is busy. Mm. And that's one of my favorite chapters because that was a huge reflection for me is yeah. I didn't realize how often I would tell people how busy I was. It was almost like a badge of honor. I'm busy totally. I'm doing this. And and how often that was reflected back to me, Sheila, do you want to go out to- I know how busy you are or honey, call me back. I know how busy you are busy was the word yeah. that ultimately created this, uh, this frenetic energy, because I just felt like that was my life is just this constant busyness. But, um, the one thing I will say that I think is important to, to, to bring up as part of my own healing. And I mentioned the whole stillness thing. I had a really uncomfortable relationship with silence. Mm-hmm. And one of the big puzzle pieces that came together for me when I started art as a tool for healing is when I started getting in the stones of it and in silence, I realized why I was so uncomfortable is when I was a child and I had a domestic violence type of background. I was so comfortable with the turmoil and noise that actually it was the silence that terrified me Wow! because I didn't know what was on the other side of that silence, yeah. my mother would be alive or if I, if my father yeah. was, you know, and so I didn't realize the depth of that connection Mm -hmm. until I was able to understand my relationship with silence. Mm. Why am I so uncomfortable with silence? I never even asked that question, to be honest. I just Mm -hmm. never did. When I started asking these questions is when I started finding the joy in it. I was like, God, silence is amazing. (laughs) So why didn't I like this before? And that's when it was almost like I wasn't seeking the question. That's the thing about it. That's why art is so powerful. The curiosity comes with it
0: absolutely that's my definition of creativity is curiosity
1: of course it is (laughs) you want to have so much in common yes curiosity is the thing that combats everything it combats judgment criticism all of it yeah Yeah.
0: absolutely i mean i think if we were more curious about each other there would be less hate right in this world oh my god
1: absolutely uh, this is my husband's going to kill me that I mentioned this but that was actually the one thing I said I remember we were hitting a bump in our road
0: yeah
1: and and I said you know what I want I just want you to be a bit more curious about me
0: yeah yeah because what
1: we do is we take each other for granted
0: we do um Mm -hmm.
1: and we we just assume the person is the same person that we've always been with we've been together 20 years and so And when we lose that curiosity, and that's what you said, if we can find that curiosity in humanity, it would change the world for sure.
0: Yeah, I definitely think so. That's why, and I think art makes you curious too, because you have to be a little curious in order to do it, because, you know, I remember going into the studio and feeling, because I was a fashion designer, I was not a painter or printmaker. So I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea if I could actually um, paint something, you Mm -hmm. know, it just seemed so foreign to me. And the very first day I went into the studio, the person who owned the studio was like a teacher or mentor, so to speak, but it wasn't a class. And I said, you know, I have no idea how to mix oil paint. I've never done that before. And she said, Oh, just go ahead and, you know, just do whatever you'll figure it out. Yeah. I thought to myself, I have no clue. Like, how am I going to mix these colors that I want? And I just began to do it intuitively, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, you know, my background in art 20 years ago, maybe I do have something, you know, that, that came up, but a lot of it was intuitive and a lot of it was curious like what if i mix this red with this blue am Mm -hmm. i what kind of purple am i going to get you know and so that curiosity i think has to be there in order for you to to expand and produce
1: oh absolutely and the other word that comes to mind when we talk about curiosity that just sits right next to it is play
0: Yes, absolutely. We, we need to play more.
1: Like we That's don't play sense. enough. And the, the sad part is, and I talk about this with my friends all the time, is yeah. when we do play, it's very structured play. Exactly. It's, like, it's yes. not even this impromptu go by the you um, know by the seat of your pants. No, no rules. <laughs> we just forget as we get older, we forget how to play. And so it's so funny when I when I do sketch poetic with youth, uh, teens are starting to get into that adulting part where they get, they need the structure. But when you try to do this with kids, you don't need to tell them. You just say, here's what I need you to do. Express sadness. Okay, I know what that means. I think there's no (laughs) questions. They just, they just know what to do. But as you go, they're like, oh, what do you mean express sadness? Like then you start hearing, the more questions I get, it's the older somebody becomes is because we get in this conditioned belief that we don't know how to play and let go anymore.
0: It's just fascinating. It's interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm just saying play and curiosity to meet are they, they they're, they're sisters and brothers of each other.
0: Very much so. And I think what happens is we get into this mode where we think there's a certain way we need to do things. There's a right way and a wrong way.
1: Yes, yeah, right and wrong way to play. right and wrong yeah. way to sketch, right and wrong way to paint.
0: Yes. right and wrong way to draw a house or right and wrong way to draw a face. you know and that we have to do it exactly. Uh, that way
1: I'm curious I'm going to ask you a question just because I'm fast am fascinated to hear your answer where do you think that right and wrong the genesis of it do you think it's a person a situation where do you where do you think we start to really put that in that, that construct into our heads as children do you think
0: it's yeah longer? I think somewhere around the age between eight and ten is when we start looking at what the other person is doing Mm, like peers yeah Mm. and start to compare and we have teachers who might have said "Mm, Johnny's house looks so amazing and you don't get the same attention and you start thinking oh well maybe I need to do it more like Johnny's doing it yeah (laughs) you know and a lot of a lot of us stop painting or drawing and playing around that age, I would say 10. And by 13, probably not so much anymore. Yeah. And then when we're adults and we go into a workshop um, and we have to draw something, the expectation is that we need to be good at it. But (laughs) you're gonna be drawing like you did when you were eight years old because that's when you stop drawing you know, <laughs> and yeah. that's, and that's okay. Because um, a lot of people say, well, I'm not good at art. You can't be good at something if you don't do it, right? If yeah, you don't yeah, practice yeah. it. Um, but yeah, I want to go back to the meditative process, because I do feel like drawing is a meditation. For sure. And not everybody can meditate. And so this is a tool that one can use in order to get to that yes similar to meditation I
1: love that you said that because I tried yoga and I tried meditation and I was really crappy at it (laughs) I tried my I just my thoughts were always running and what I love about the daily sketching practice that that I do is I allow my thoughts to pass and so I'm not trying to quiet my mind because it's actually inspiration for my sketching so yeah. it's counterintuitive but because i gave it permission to exist i was able to relax into it versus the yeah. opposite i heard my brain thinking and the, all the monkey brain thoughts and i was trying to control it so it was so counterintuitive to relaxing and meditating yeah. because i'm trying to quiet my mind that that in itself is an action so when i'm sketching i i invite and accept all of it that's why i'm able to let go to it because i'm not trying to change it and i'm certainly not trying to trying to uh, force something that's not. So if my mind is not there when I'm sketching, it's just, like you said, scribbling. I'll just scribble. I actually Mm -hmm. do similar thing. I do, uh, like, I call them hash marks, but grass, like blades of grass. If my mind is so busy that I know I'm not going to be able to fully let go into my sketching, I will just do a repetitive mark. Mm
0: -hmm. And then
1: inevitably I'm inspired and then I'll I'll change the page and actually do the more stream of consciousness. But it's absolutely what you just said. Mm -hmm. I always if not even for a minute, get into a flow state at some point, which is very meditative mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. But That's because I'm not trying to resist any of it. I invite mm-hmm. it all in.
0: Yeah. That's so good. That's so yeah. good. So important um, because so we don't
1: get, we don't hear that message <laughs> that it's, it's okay so- that yeah. your mind and body and all of that is happening. I think we are, and this is why I, I, I was talking about play, which is really funny. is like, or self-care was, was whatever I was going is we think we take a bubble bath and go to a spa and we're all going to be okay. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's like one day of self-care doesn't take it, up, it take the pain away. So you really, if you can find, that's why art's so powerful, is that it's a tool you can get to at any point in time to process mm-hmm. whatever it is that's happening in that moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, this is so wonderful. So I want to hear more about your workshops. So it sounds yeah. like you... You have workshops for all ages. I do,
1: I do. And my background in the consulting space was, uh, I did a lot of workshops and so I'm a facilitator. So I've always been able, and I think this was also coming back from my childhood. You know, you you hear the term hypervigilance and I very, Mm. very cued in on people's body languages, tone of voice. And so I read the room really fast, but that's because I realized in my childhood, Mm. I had to read the room really fast. Yeah. Um, And so when I started doing the workshops, I it was less focused on how to sketch or like go to sketching. What I all I had to do was set it up to explain the why behind it, which is this isn't drawing, this isn't art, this is a an emotional expression or purging of what's inside out. Right. We would do breath. We do breath work first, and and I say breath work isn't just breathe because some people yeah. breath work is too like new age. Some people I just like just relax into your breath. Yeah. And then I, I have them think and, and I actually give them hacks. I, I, I say, don't think of your pen as a pen, think of it as a dancer on a dance floor. Think I of it that. as a baton as a baton for a conductor. So when I ask you to express sadness, does a dancer move slow, long movements, or are they frenetic? And you know, um, when a conductor is composing sad music, are they, you know, and so I, I have them think about it differently. So it's creative expression as a whole. And so, yeah, before the pandemic, I was doing um, in-person group workshops and there's a whole dynamic around holding your uh-huh. own energy in the presence of others or we do one-on-one. Uh-huh. In, both, in both situations though, I think you you probably experienced this in your drawing classes. It, it inevitably does become a, a kind of a therapy session, even though you're not a therapist,
0: mm-hmm. people
1: just need to be heard.
0: They and do. so what's
1: really beautiful is when they're sharing their sketch, and this is why I, t- I say this is in a drawing class, is I'm not having you talk about well, this is an apple. Yeah. And this is the vase. What you what we talk about is how did it feel when you're right. doing it? And this is this is the narrative. Oh my God, I was so uncomfortable. I was like, am I doing it right? It's those things we've been talking about. Yes. That's that's what we talk about. We never even talk about the sketch, really. We talk about yeah. how all of it felt as they were doing it. And yeah. so we're, I think the big thing is learning the language of emotions and how mm-hmm. to talk about them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what my workshops are really
0: about. So important. How long are your workshops? Are they? um... About an hour to an hour and a half. Uh, Mm -hmm. The
1: actual, what we do is we do about 30 minutes of intro, just get to know each other, but also I really have to explain the why because that is once they understand the why and it clicks, then we do two prompts together. And Mm -hmm. then I I like to do the conversation. That's why it's usually 90 minutes. It's like 30, 30.
0: Yeah, nice. And then, do people do subsequent workshops with you, or is it just a one one time? Yes. One? So
1: uh, when I was doing the Zoom ones, those were really profound. The community, and this is how my sketch poetic community grew, is I actually had a ninety minute workshop, which is what I just explained, and two check ins weekly.
0: Oh, great! What ended
1: up happening is those sketch circles, after the three weeks were over, some of them kept on going. And nice. some of them are still meeting after a year and a half. They meet monthly. I love, it. I love so it. What I'm realizing, and this is what I encourage in my book as well, is sketch circles, similar to book circles, reading circles, yeah. or book clubs, should I say. But the idea is getting together and sharing not, not just the sketch, but the process of it and what came up for you. Yeah. And so people are now becoming more comfortable. And, the other, and I think the other part of it is when you're talking about your emotions and, you know, again, in relationships, whether that's a coworker or a partner or family member, it's really easy to trigger each other when we're talking about emotions, when, when you have nothing to direct it to other than each other. So what I found has really been helpful is when people are expressing something to their partner. So I do this with families or parents and kids and the child's talking about their sketch, but you know, they're really talking about their dynamic with their parent, the parent, and also the child feels safer in it because they're talking about a piece of paper, a sketch. Yeah. So it gives it this, uh, a little bit more of a, a safe
0: feeling. Yeah,
1: we're, yeah, we're yeah. talking about a sketch, but we're not talking about, it. you know, so you're not Yeah Yeah. So that's, yeah. What I think, that's the other part of the healing.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, it's also a way to be non-judgmental too, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, to sort of accept each other and accept what's produced.
1: Um, well, and, and that's an important part of it. I will just say this is when mm-hmm. I, uh, I tell people, if you're going to share your sketch with someone, there's only two questions I want you to ask them. What do you see? What's the first thing your eye sees? And how does it make you feel?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I say that because it, it, it invites them to share. And then I say, and when you hear it, know that it's not about you, that this is their feeling. So it's inviting a conversation. So you're not showing a sketch to have them guess what emotion you're feeling or showing a sketch to be validated, you're showing the sketch to invite a dialogue. That's All the right. key, yeah.
0: All right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's really fascinating too, how art can not only affect the person who has done the art or the drawing or the sketch, but how emotion can, can be elicited from the viewer as well, right?
1: You totally segued into the other thing I'm building, which I'm going to send you a link to after.
0: Did you know I'm building an emotion platform? No, no, we have, I, I'm just like so, so happy that we connected. Because no, you're going to be part
1: of the emotion platform, your community. So I just have to tell you what it is because you just spoke to it.
0: It really
1: killed me to see my community on social media. Even though that's where I started, I just mm-hmm. couldn't help but see how easily the validation arm came in when you're posting on social media that, that, that not, you know, people wanting to see likes or comments. So I'm like, is there a way I can build a platform? And this is my background is digital where we can do two things. It's exactly what you said. Put your sketches up because your desire to share it with the world.
0: Yeah. And then
1: you as a receiver of it can go to this emotion platform. I'll send you the video. And I type in an emotion I'm feeling at this moment. I'm feeling despair and every sketch from around the world that was tagged despair will come up just so you know you're not alone in it and and you'll see this the art and you'll immediately connect with one which we you know and you can comment so there's no liking there's no following you can simply comment and say Isla this piece you did I was feeling despair at this moment I just want you to know it really made me feel good or wow i'm curious what was this piece about this is and so the comments are really uh in into to to encourage dialogue and and reinforce the why which is this is about to your point connection and healing so those are the only two use cases that i was solving for in that version there's a i have a much larger vision for the roadmap but for now that's that's the goal of the emotion platform Mm -hmm. it should be launching in a couple months
0: Oh, how exciting! So it's for my community
1: because I was. It was just too much for me to see them trying to yeah. cultivate this in a social media. It's just social media is not made for that.
0: Yeah, where is your community mostly um, on which platform?
1: They're on Instagram, but they're not. Sh- they're tagging at Sketch Poetic, so they tag their sketches Sketch Poetic. But it's it, like I said, it's been meandering because yeah. unless somebody's cultivating the community of like-minded people it just happens so it's not as often now but um so you do need that's why I'm looking forward to the book because then I'm hoping they pop up around the world and people yeah
0: yeah are you on Facebook at all
1: I am but I'm most it's more now it's very one-sided meaning I'm not engaging the community there I I don't know what that's going to look like right now I'm hoping the emotion platform is where people go
0: yeah yeah that sounds cool yeah um clubhouse what about clubhouse how are you finding that all over clubhouse
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm on clubhouse for two reasons one you know i I got into it at the beginning of the year which is the pandemic was still here so it was a great replacement for podcasting and so i I, i'll tell you why i do like clubhouse and it is can be a time suck so you do have to set some boundaries i know Mm -hmm. you i've never seen a platform where you have access to the knowledge and the people you have it's I can sit in a room and Deepak Chopra might drop in.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, or, you know, you and I will drop in and you and I will have a connection. We would never have met otherwise because you're in a different geography or a yeah. interests. So, in that sense, it's super magical.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: The, the part that's time it's hard is the follow through. So the platform itself doesn't allow you to message each other, which is great. There's a love of that about clubhouse. So you're encouraged to connect outside of clubhouse. So what right. ends up happening is you meet a lot of people really fast Yeah. and then it yeah. gets really noisy really quickly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. You know, who do you want to, you know? And so that's what ended up happening for me is i met a lot of people really quickly and it just yeah. got to the point where I was having too many meetings and it, the yeah. connections were too fast, too quick. Right. Right. So there's the yeah. beauty of it, and then there's the negative of it. Yeah. But from a, from a knowledge and learning, couldn't recommend it more. And you have to control the, the hallway, which is the main part of it. You, yeah. you follow people, you don't follow subjects. Like right. you and I already know that if I go to your rooms, I'm probably going to like it. because we have yeah. some like interests.
0: Yeah. We should do a room together. Let's <laughs> do it. I'm totally down. I would, yeah. Let's do it.
1: I'm happy. I have yeah. a weekly arts and healing room that I host. I'd love oh, to. Okay. Have
0: it. And I have um I have a club, uh Creativity for Physicians and Healers. Let's yeah. do that.
1: Let's
0: so, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And um we can talk about a lot of things. <laughs> we don't even have to plan it. <laughs> no, I'm
1: gonna have you as my guest this time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, that works. That I works.
1: Your brain because I do I do think the the physician aspect of it is gonna be a fascinating and people will wanna ask you questions as well and just have to yeah. your brain more.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds great. So um, are you on any other platforms? Uh, If people want to get in touch with you, they can find you on Instagram for sure. I'm on Uh,
1: Twitter, but that's because of NFTs, which is a whole other world. Uh,
0: What about NFTs? Oh
1: my gosh. Well, I'll give you the two second version. NFTs, which is the acronym for non-fungible tokens. If I were to give it the most simplest terms, it's basically certifying a piece of digital content on the blockchain which is crypto um mm-hmm. and so somebody the most common thing you hear from people that don't know what nfts are is i can just screenshot and it's mine i don't even know why people are paying millions of dollars but yes but that's not certified on the blockchain mm-hmm. that's one one description of it so basically this, there can only be one original on the blockchain The second way I would describe it is, and I actually like this answer better. I just heard it from somebody else. So this isn't me. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you're capturing a time, a moment in time. It's a capsule Mm -hmm. because truly if everything goes digital, which is where a lot of it is going and it's if all of it crashes down and you lose all your photos, like you lose all those moments, but the way that the crypto space is working is they're creating a uh, this blockchain in a way that's so like iron, ironed fist strong that e- even if mm-hmm. the world crashes down, that the blockchain is supposed to. And again, we won't really yeah. know for sure. But they yeah. are—they're putting investing a lot of time and energy of having like some digital space or metaverse they're calling mm-hmm. it, where mm-hmm. if you put it in there, it'll always mm-hmm. be there. Versus like Google Photos or your Facebook photos. Yeah. If Facebook crashes and they lose all your photos, there is no way for you to access it ever again. So that's the other aspect of it is it's, there is definitely an essence of a time capsule that you're putting in there. So it could be a moment, a movie, Uh you know, eventually uh, NFTs will be everything from movies, like I said, to moments to not just art.
0: And how does one uh, create an NFT and get it?
1: That's why we need a whole class, but basically there's a lot of platforms. There's two terms you just need to know. There's Uh minting and listing. Uh So minting is putting it on the blockchain and listing it is to sell it. Uh So you could just mint it and never sell it. Now it's just yours. You just wanted to certify it on the blockchain. It's kind of like when people certify paintings. Uh So you get a digital certificate, but you have to have a wallet. So the very first thing you would need to do is set up a digital wallet. There's different Mm -hmm. ones. MetaMask is the one I use. So the first thing I would tell you to do is set up a MetaMask wallet uh and then the other thing you should know is there's currencies in the crypto space so there's ethereum there's tesos there's all different bitcoin is a is a cryptocurrency so everyone is pretty familiar with bitcoin mm-hmm. but in the nft space it's ethereum so
0: mm-hmm. in order
1: for you to to do it you need an ethereum wallet and so nice. let's see what i mean it's very complicated <laughs> Uh, but what's happening is there's more more wallets coming out there's more current people you can make up your own currency it's like the wild wild west um and so wow. that's where it gets really crazy really fast is you basically sure. ideally just follow someone who's done it and just say they just be it be more prescriptive to you like just get this wallet go on this platform because when I got into it, I had to learn it all. And I, it was very overwhelming.
0: Oh, wow. have you sold art that way? I have. I actually have. Yeah. I um, want
1: to Try it. You should. You should totally try it. I mean, listen, I, I don't I haven't sold it for a lot, but there's people yeah. selling. But I think this is the sad part. I say the sad part is it the crypto space is no different than the real world. It's it's all about marketing and brand and who you know. As much as I'd like to say it's all about great art, people will say that. But based on what I've seen on Twitter and, and Clubhouse, are you out there? Are you talking about your work? Are people advocating for you? Are you putting yourself out there? Mm. If you're not, it's highly unlikely you're going to get your piece bought. Mm. And so that's the unfortunate part is it gets yeah. back into that same thing again. So the only yeah. positive, the one positive though, and not the only, the one positive is, is an even playing field right now. It's still very
0: early on in the game it's it's really cool I'm fascinated by it <laughs> yeah.
1: you and I can have one-on-one on it I'm happy to, and we should record it actually because I think there would be a yeah. lot of people <laughs> that would
0: love to hear yeah it. we should we should do we should do well I should do a podcast on that you know you should. Yeah.
1: and I, I think I would yeah. I would actually recommend somebody else outside of me that is can simplify it that knows a lot more than I do because I'm I know enough like I said that's just me I know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> I'm, I'm not one to go <laughs> Like enough to where I feel like I can sound coherent.
0: Sounds <laughs> pretty good to me. You yeah, know, exactly. more than I do. <laughs> I don't all I know is that people have sold millions. I mean, they've you know, they've made millions, I should say.
1: But again, but- if you look at those stories, Beeple Footious is this 18-year-old trans artist that just went on to Christie's auction. First of all, that's pretty fascinating. The fact that Christie and Sotheby's are involved. Yeah. uh, Victor, he goes by Victor now. Um, But Victor sells his NFTs for like $500,000, which is again, unheard of. But that's like, again, this is the the thing. That's (laughs) the deal. This is why people are jumping on the NFT bandwagon. But that's like one in a billion. Like. It's yeah. not yeah. Most people, I think like us, like I, I sold one of my NFTs for $125, but, but what's really freaking cool is it's a digital version of a physical piece. So I still have the physical
0: piece. And you can sell the physical piece. I can.
1: Well, I, well, or I you it. can bundle it. Like you can say, if you buy this uh, NFT, I'll send you the physical and it might've sold more. But the fact that I'm getting $125 for a digital version of a physical piece, it's pretty cool.
0: I think that's pretty cool. I know it is. So I'm. I definitely want to be part of that. Yeah. <laughs> that whole scene. Why
1: don't you and I talk about it? And at the very that's minimum, it. I'll help you set it up.
0: Okay, that sounds good. So, do you sell your art? It sounds like you do. Um, oh, wow,
1: NFTs was the oh. first time I sold my art, oh. and there was a reason behind it. I have done a couple of commissions. I do murals. I have. Okay. Wow. But I'm glad you asked that question. I didn't yeah. sell my art. I'm waiting for my book to come out because why Mm -hmm. it matters to me, has been a conscious decision. I really, really matter to me that people knew I didn't do this to become an artist, even though I'm becoming an artist. I wanted people to know that I really did this for my mental health and to help myself heal. So I felt like if I became a successful artist in terms of selling, a selling artist, that somehow that would, and I, I feel it in my heart that that would, I don't know. It would dim- diminish this my story and the power of the why, because if people only think that the reason I did this is to become the artist that I've always wanted to be, I think that th- I think they're going to cling onto that. It's the narrative that caused us to abandon it in the first place. So I will tell you, I'm going to be. Beca- I am an artist, and I, I I own it, and I love everything about it. But I'm going to wait for my book to come out, and I'm going to double down <laughs> on it. Plus, I also think my artwork will be worth more. Um, because some of that will be in the book so it's you know I'm playing it smart as well but no I haven't had any art shows I've been invited to many of them but I just I'm like no I want to wait I've been really focused on my book
0: oh that's interesting interesting
1: but yeah. very conscious of why I haven't sold it like I said people yeah. have, I've, I've given them mostly away
0: yeah well I'm so excited for your book and Thank you Gosh, yeah. I mean, I love talking with you. So we definitely should collaborate or something. Yeah, we should. We should. I think, our, think we should have more yeah.
1: conversations for sure. Yeah. I'm looking forward to yeah. that. Um, Thank you for so having me. Can, huh?
0: Thank you for having me. Oh, it's it's been my pleasure. And I think we should have a part two. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, this should be continued for sure. And we I should do, do some clubhouse rooms as well.
1: Well, that we can do right away. So let's you yeah. and I connect offline, and then we'll we'll have you come in for one of the clubs coming up.
0: Definitely. Well, thank Maybe. you so much. Uh, it's been amazing, Sheila. Yeah, so, so easy. glad to meet you.
1: You too. <laughs> Me too. I like. I know we could have talked for hours, and we will.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we will. Okay. So yeah. thanks, everyone, and um, we'll be back. <laughs>